This podcast is supported by Red Energy, powered by the mighty Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Red is 100% Australian owned and local. Phone 131 806. I can't have sleepless nights and worry about the debt my children, sorry Clem, are going to carry in 20, 30 years' time. I can't worry about that. All I'm worried about is today's numbers and getting the numbers down. I did feel that the government is putting it firmly back in the business quarter. You guys get us out of this mess. It's up to you to spend too, Nance. Like, you've got to spend money to make money. Has that ever been a problem for me? (laughs) But I also think if it gets to 3pm and you end up doing some emails from your bed, like it's not the end of the world, just be gentle yourself. The jigsaw puzzle just absolutely ended up giving me the shits and I stuck it back in the box. It's not in my nature. Senior AFL people are still tipping a Brisbane Richmond grand final. I'm not quite sure Richmond, even if they can beat St Kilda, can get over Port Adelaide Bull seat. It's like this virus has attacked the White House, nearly 20 people and counting. Don't shoot the messenger podcast with Caroline Wilson and Corey Perkin. Thanks to Red Energy. Hi everyone and welcome to Don't Shoot the Messenger. This is episode 146. I'm Corey Perkin and I'm here with my dear friend Caroline Wilson. Hi there. Looking down the barrel at the end of the se- footy season, Caro. I know, the countdown begins. It's a, it's a confluence of events at the moment, aren't there? Oh. It's sort of hopefully, hopefully, hopefully a way out of this pandemic, although as we sit here today it's not unbelievably good news. The finals are, you know, in the middle of the footy finals. We're heading into the racing season, which isn't really going to happen from a spectator point of view. And it's spring, although it doesn't feel like spring. We've been given an economic roadmap out of this by our federal treasurer. I always know it's this time of the year, Caro, when I go to the TAB account, which, as you know, (laughs) I only activate once a year. $18.70. $18.70. We've actually, anyway. got a, we've actually got a family interest in a racehorse at the moment. Oh, I there think you, you go. Yeah, well, you know, my father and his friend Mal Brown bought, Dad said to Mal, you know, because Mal has the odd racehorse, he said, let's get a horse we can, you know, watch at Mornington. So far I think it's run at Benalla and um, Sale and anyway, it's called, and Dad um, gave my brother Will a stake in it for his birthday last year. But Octa told us the other day, Carrot's doing quite well. Well, it won it won its first start and then um, it's called So Let's Toast. And, and Mal gave his son Campbell, one of your former premiership players, Yay. Campbell Brown a stake in it. Mm. And I think it yeah it came equal third in its last run. The trainer was happy. I mean, oh, well, we'll be watching that. <laughs> hey, Caro, full agenda, budget week. We've got a little bit of budget talk, although it's not yours and my strong suit. <laughs> I never went to a budget locker. Oh, I did actually once when I worked for the Australian. Did, did you ever do a budget locker? Happily no, Corrie. Oh, my Happily no. I've got a quick apology to you, though. Oh, oh I'm great. told I'm one of my footy classified friends. All these lovely young men who listen to the show now, I, they they said I owe you an apology because I told you you couldn't go for a walk. Didn't you want to walk around Q? Yes, you want to I do, did. discover the, the wilds of Q? Well, apparently Q is your workplace. Yes. So you can walk around queue. It's funny you say that. (laughs) I had had an email from a potty as well. I wasn't going to read it out. Well, they said I owe you an apology. So sorry about that. You can walk around queue because you're delivering books there and it's absolutely fine. Do you know why I didn't want to read it out? I didn't want to embarrass you. Oh, well, according (laughs) to my daughter Clementine, who more of in a moment, I made a few mistakes last week, but that's the only one I can remember. So Um, sorry. No, just general sorry to everybody, really. We've got so much to talk about, but we do have a mystery guest and we'll introduce her now, I think. Dying to hear what you think about the federal 
Budget Clementine Donahue. Hello, ladies. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Great Good to, to see, see you. Yeah. Good to see you, Clem. Great to see you, Clem. We would like to hear, uh, with Carol and I thought it would be interesting to hear a millennial's view of lockdown of the last seven or eight weeks because she and I have been yakking about it since March. So we thought that might be interesting. Clem, thanks for coming in. We thought we'd going? inject a bit of youth into the program. We did. <laughs> now, a, a couple of uh, wonderful uh, emails and, of course, on Instagram and everything. Thanks, everybody, for your feedback. Alex, who is a relative of yours, married to your cousin Tom. Alex Howard. Yes. She said she sent me a, an email this week about something unrelated, but she said at the end of it, I continue to love listening to your podcast. I'm a little behind at the moment with lots of podcasts banked up, but I am delighted when I make time to hear you and Cara chat as well as Anna and, of course, Miss Jane. I frequently laugh out loud, feel inadequate in the kitchen and inspired to garden and look forward to reading one of the books. I hope Red Energy keeps up the sponsorship, exclamation mark. So do we. Go Red Energy. And she says, thank you for prioritising the podcast into your lives. Best wishes. And we also had one from Hong Kong. This is from Jan Brown. Hi, Jan in Hong Kong. She's always loved the podcast. Makes me feel so connected to Melbourne. Having a very mobile lifestyle, I rely on my electric lady shaver to sort the hairy legs and bits. Oh, I did read this. So convenient. I can't go to shaver. It's like I'm 21 again. It's not about you. It's about Jan. So convenient and cost effective. After years of waxing, it's the next best thing and no appointments. Relocating back to Oz finally as husband retiring, but won't be bothering about waxing ever again. Jan Brown, there you go. Well, okay, Jan, thank you very much. I mean, Clementine has views on this as well, I'm sure. Can I just mention um, our friend Ruth Hobson, who had a couple of great recommendations, but um, one was Ted Lasso, the show that I've oh, been yes. told we have to watch. Yes, about the American football coach. Yes, and the other one, Anne with an E on Netflix, very Pollyanna-ish, she says. She probably shouldn't have to admit she loves it, but she does. So thank you, Ruth, and your wonderful COVID brain. Um, can I say hello to Merrin from Horsham, who sent us a lovely note sharing a GLT with the, that she does with the family. We have a f- Uh, a fortnightly family quiz, but decided to try a variation on a theme and organised a desert island disc session. Each family member sent me one piece of their favourite music and I compiled a playlist for the Zoom. And on the night, each person talked about their choice of favourite music, book and luxury item they would take on a desert island. Lots of love and we have a playlist to remember it by. If indeed you want to remember lockdown, but look, Merrin, I think that sounds fantastic. Merrin, I read that, and Merrin, you just made me feel—you made me feel very inad- inadequate, which is a good thing. I mean, what a wonderful thing to do! And why haven't we got our act together and done something like that, Corrie? And then Maria, uh, I think her name is Maria Bush. Is that her name? Her surname? I've, I don't know. I've, I've sort of cut and paste here. I can't work it out. Anyway, she sent us a photograph of she has a jigsaw puzzle table, Caro. She has a jigsaw puzzle table. Well, what about Helen Gibbons? Who oh, says, is that Helen Gibbons? Oh, no, she's she's talked it. about the jigsaw mats, and Clementine, you should listen to this because you're the one who starts a jigsaw at the start of summer. <laughs> Very guilty of doing uh, that. And oh. it just takes over our life. And then you go off to your next trip or your next, you know, holiday with your friends. Too and popular. You, you leave us with this. Well, this jigs- one, I don't know. I've cut and pasted. I've done something terrible to this. So apologies to the person who sent it in, but... It's a it, it's a table that has four drawers to sort and store. Oh, it could be my wrapping table in another life. And it's light enough to move the table from around the different parts of the house. Easy to slide under the bed if you want storage or keep it out of harm's way. Maybe I should give you one of those, Clem. It's a very good idea. For our next summer holiday. I like the sound of the jigsaw mats you can buy so you can roll up the jigsaw when your little people visit. 
Yeah. And she says they're really good, you know, de-stressing. And just quickly, Jane PVR on Insta, who's, who's referred to um, her favourite Spoonville, which was a silent disco complete with dancing spoons and disco ball near the Rip and Lee station. I love that. Is it within our? Yeah, it is within our five. My five. It is within our five yeah, k radius. You can walk to Ripon Lee. That's You'll fine. find some work there, I'm sure. God. Now, it just <laughs> I, I have work everywhere. Hey, um, how's your October challenge going? I'm just getting through life at the moment, Corrie. I'm, oh. I'm, I'm not going to... Why do I feel the back half of this year? You've been a real disappointment in your challenges. I, I, well, you know what my challenges are? They're a month behind. My flower arrangements this, this month have been so beautiful. Caro. I snuck around to my mum's back garden the other day, having delivered her some food, and I think Clem's done the same thing. We've been allowed to pick her lilac and her blossom, and boy, together, what a beautiful posy have they make. Have you girls stripped the bush... There, so much. Speak. And the hydrangeas, beautiful. Yeah, you've been taking them to your house too. And I, what about the beautiful wisteria Miss Jane's brought stunning, in today? Stunning, stunning. today. So my challenge, which was to walk the streets of Kew, I'm holding off until we are properly allowed to do that, even though your work colleague said I could. You gave me the yips last week. I thought, oh, what if I just got picked up by the police? How do I explain I'm doing as it if for you ever, podcast as purposes? if you'd ever listened to any advice I gave you. What, that is a lame excuse. So we, we, we stay tuned on that one, Potties. But um, on to more important things. Well, I don't know really. Is it going to affect me that much? The federal budget, Scott Morrison calls it the most important budget in 70 years. Carol and Clem, what would be your level of interest in watching last night's budget between 1 and 10? Probably a 9 just to see Josh Frydenberg sip out of that tiny little water bottle because you can't use glasses because of corona and it just made me giggle every time. I don't know why. <laughs> well, we, we, felt, we felt, didn't we, talking about it this morning, Clem, that he probably seems to want to be the Prime Minister. Mm. Yeah, that seems to be the, the vibe I got. Yes. Um, it, you know, this sounds really bad and I know... It's probably something I shouldn't admit, but I can't have sleepless nights and worry about the debt my children, sorry, Clem, are going to carry in 20, 30 years' time. People keep saying to me, do you understand what this means for our children? I can't worry about that. All I'm worried about is today's numbers and getting the numbers down. I think to try and live in the future at the moment is a really bad idea or worry about the future. If you can just take things one day at a time as most football clubs still alive in the finals are doing, well, they, they're all doing, it's just so much easier to cope, Corrie. And the, the, those questions of debt are just so mind-numbing to me. I can't understand them. I did think Clem told me that it was particular. Who's the budget bad for? I hate to break it to you, but women over 45 and people with superannuation. Oh, well, that's it then. <laughs> well, yeah, exactly. Screwed. They're, yeah. they're keeping an eye on... Um, dodgy superannuation funds. I mean, they're basically putting them on notice, but what they're actually going to do if they don't perform, I do not know. I mean, I can understand. I know that the opposition have said you need to be more creative and more generous with JobSeeker. But there is no, and this sound, there's no doubt in my mind there have been, been a lot of people, Corey, on JobSeeker and JobKeeper this year who've been earning a lot more money than they would normally earn. Well, look, we will, we will find out all about all that, that when, of course, JobKeeper removes and we'll see who's desperate for it and who perhaps isn't so desperate, Caro, I guess. But I look, just back on your Josh Frydenberg thing, I agree with you, Clem and Caro, about uh, is he making a bid for the PMs? Certainly not now because ScoMo seems to have it until the, that seat until the next election. God help us if we change prime ministers again midterm. But there is, there is some, there was something very stately about Josh Frydenberg. I thought last night for the ten brief minutes I tuned in, 
a different tone. I know there's a gravitas and I know being a Victorian, he has been deeply involved in Victoria's recovery. I know there's been a lot of behind the scenes with Dan Andrews and things such as that. Uh, I felt he presented really well. I've always liked Josh Frydenberg. I found him really a dull presenter, but last night there was... Very robust. I thought so. Oh, very theatrical, I thought. I in, thought in so laying too. Out, laying out bare, the facts we all knew, but just reminded us yes. again what an utter debacle and what a shocking Well, they'll probably disaster. show it in history classes in like 50 years' time. I think you're probably right. You're right. Recover. I think you probably, well, if we do, I think he had a bit of a skip in his step having just learnt that Adam Sard's quit Essendon and going to Carlton. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Sorry, that is really shallow. I was bringing it back, Kazza. Anyway, just here we are. We're about to get a million jobs, Clem, and your mum's talking about the footy. But look, there were some interesting things. Being a small business owner, as I am, I was kind of interested in tax cuts, tax thresholds being lifted, um, all sorts of job creation schemes. Will that affect me? Possibly not, not sure. But uh, that was kind of interesting. I did feel that the government is putting f- putting it firmly back in the business qu- quarter. Yep. You guys get us out yep. of get us out of this mess. So it's where the business, big and small, takes the it's opportunity to do Corrie. that. It's up to you, Corrie. It's up to me to, to say it. Well, it's up to you to spend too, Nance. Like you've got to spend money to make money. Has that ever been a problem for me? <laughs> <laughs> you've been away on trips with me. No, look, I think that um, – I think that the – the job, the employment incentive is a fantastic idea. Yeah. And, and it was a bit annoying when people say immediately, oh, but, you know, it, what's the incentive? You know, you're better off staying on unemployment benefits. I don't agree with that. I think that's great. And I'm pretty happy about a small tax cut, I must say. Can I just say, I know I'm doing grumpy this week, but this is an early grumpy. New Zealand opposition leader Judith Collins in the debate with Jacinta Ardern last week, because, of course, New Zealand has a federal election, um, called Victoria a cot case. No, thank you, Judith. We don't need to hear you say that. She's sort of right, though, isn't she? (laughs) Speaking of Victoria, the cot case, it would have been nice in last night's budget to have a couple of extra incentives for Victoria, seeing as we drive a lot of the national economy. Just saying, would have been kind of nice. Yeah, well, that's going to be a behind-the-scenes punch-up that's going to play out over the next few months, I reckon. Caro, the ongoing news story, of course, of the past week, when you and I recorded our episode last week, we were about to go home and, and see the recorded version or live version of the presidential debate between Joe Biden and Donald Trump. Of course, events. And if that wasn't bad enough. If a, that... a pox on all your houses. Well, let's just choose the White House, shall we? It's been an amazing week. So as we go to air now, God knows really by the time Potty's listened to this, what state the president will be in. But he has um, he has left hospital. Of course, we know last Thursday, uh, Trump advisor Hope Hicks tested positive to COVID-19. And then a couple of days later, of course, the news came out about Donald Trump and First Lady Melania Trump. They also tested positive. Um, there's been a, there's been, it's like this virus has attacked the White House, nearly 20 people and counting. And then, of course, you have everyone else such as Joe Biden and Chris Wallace, who was the moderator, who are now having daily coronavirus testing because they're but concerned. But they seem to be okay. We hope so. But as we record this today, President Trump's been discharged. He has discharged himself, I should say, from Walter Reed National Military Hospital. He's returned to the White House. He's taken off his mask. He's addressed the crowd. He said he's feeling better than he did 20 years ago. And he is still determined to be at the October 15 debate with Joe Biden in Miami. What are our thoughts, Clem, on 
Donald well, Trump's actually, behaviour in the last few days. I thought it was hilarious that the Chinese president has now called the coronavirus the White House virus because he always calls it the China <laughs> virus. So I thought that was amazing. And I did see yesterday on Twitter that Norman Swan was like, just you wait, buddy. Like the first week's the honeymoon period. You think you're over it. And then the second week you'll just feel like you're falling off a cliff. So I think people are actually hanging out for him to get really, really sick, which well, is probably not <laughs> I don't know where they're hanging out, but yes, you're right. I mean, our thoughts our thoughts are with the president and the first lady and all of the people who no, are suffering. No, you can I'm redact sorry. That. The, <laughs> the irresponsible behaviour, that drive-by was the most one of the most irresponsible things I have ever seen. and Not to mention the bodyguards in the car who and, were looking stricken. And the stricken. staff is going, oh, am I here? And, and, the, and the Facebook and the Twitter, which I, I gather now they've censored Donald Trump and they've taken his comments off because he said that coronavirus isn't that bad. It's like and the flu. It's like the flu, which, you know. Which it, I think is clear- great, but it's taken Twitter four years to even start doing that. So that's yeah, also and, and, and now he's, he's railed against them. That's right, Clem, but at least they have. And, you know, for the tens and thousands of Americans who have lost family members and loved ones to this virus. I mean, imagine how they feel when they Hundreds hear that. Hundreds of thousands. Well, yeah, exa- yeah. yeah. When, well, when they well, hear two, that from their president. 210,000 have died. So if you think for every how can person he, there's a circle of people. How can he possibly oh, not think that is the most callous, disgusting thing he says, to don't, say? don't be afraid of COVID. Don't let it dominate your life. Well, try telling the people who have lost loved ones that. And overnight, Caro, we are going, at the time that we've recorded this podcast, the entire Joint's chief of staff have now gone into isolation. And, so, what, and what about the doctors? So what, what about Putin, the doctors? Come in. What about <laughs> the doctors over. getting up and basically admitting oh, that lied? Con- that's Sean Connolly, the White House physician. Well, apart from the fact that he needs to go into you know intense media training for six months, oh, but he just can't call it the way it is. He's so afraid of the president. He's telling lies. He's Back dancing, his insult to the me- the other bloke. The other bloke is an osteopath, isn't he? Well, I mean, no, that's the one, Sean, oh, okay. Sean Connolly. Well, he's an osteopath. I mean, why is an osteopath telling us about coronavirus? Look seriously, if they if they vote this clown back in, it, it you know that 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 country has. It, First of all, there has to be that. I cannot understand why they don't have compulsory voting. I had no idea oh, until I looked it up how few countries, in fact, in the world. I think Belgium's one. There's not very many. We're so lucky to have it here. But it's interesting, Caro and Clem, to think about how the Biden campaign should play this. I think Joe Biden was absolutely on message for the first couple of days saying we wish them well because that's generous. And he immediately, uh, he instructed his team to take off all anti-personal Trump advertising, so it made it more general. But you've really got to start playing it now as would you trust this man to run the country if he can't run his own, look after his own family. His family, he led them in the debate. That weird Trump family all took their masks off. And when medical officials came and said, could you please put your mask on for the entirety of the debate, they refused. What's with them? How entitled are they? Unbelievable. Okay, so on to a slightly happier note, which was footy. I thought the footy finals, the first round of the footy finals on the weekend, girls, was fantastic. In fact, it's one of I the say, best. Yeah, one of the best. Well, it's every the, game it was like a nail biter. It was the first weekend I have to say this season that I have really been locked in watching. You know, maybe lock, not the tigers after this. <laughs> well, well, Clem and I got it. It was a little bit disappointing, particularly when um, um, Shy Bolton had kicked what we thought was a goal of the year. I they went to, to ad break. I need to come out of the Channel Seven ad break and hear there was a score review. Oh, Channel Seven! But I just, that would have the, been the, goal the of the year nominee, by the way. The Collingwood, the Collingwood game in particular was just great. I don't know what sort of pressure it's put on Collingwood going to Perth and how they'll how they'll front up 
this week. But um, gosh, it's been interesting. Oh, it, doesn't probably, ma- it doesn't matter. That probably was a, a good suggestion that the buyer's a good idea. They all looked fresh as daisies. Oh, look, don't I know? Unfortunately, that that um, suggestion of mine's put paid for another year. But Eddie Maguire on our um, Wednesday classified WhatsApp sent through some really interesting stats yesterday. The, this was the lowest combined margins for the first week of the finals in the final eight era, from, which started in 1994, so quite a long time ago. Wow. Longer than my yep, ex- Yeah, just. 35 points was the total combined differential. The, the smallest before this one actually happened in 94, that was 57 points. And... Um, then I think the sixth lowest was 113 points. So it's ne- there's never been a week like this. And the, rating, and Collingwood... and the ratings were fantastic, Caro. And I understand yep. in Queensland, or maybe it was just Brisbane, I can't remember what the figure was, but um, watching AFL beat watching the NRL, which yeah, also 30, had finals. 30% up, which was um, an absolute fillip for the AFL and all the work they've done up there. I mean, it should be pointed out that Brisbane was playing and the Brisbane Broncos, their big playing. club, well, they've, sure. they've imploded. They've been, they've got a whole lot of problems off field. They're not in the finals. But that was uh, unbelievable. Um, I thought the St Kilda Doggies game was just an absolute heart stopper. And, and obviously Port Adelaide were just wonderful against Geelong. I mean, the ratings are going to be fantastic because a lot of us don't have a lot to do and we can't go to the footy. But to see crowds again, people cheering on their home teams, was unbelievable. But tell me something, girls. Do you think if Collingwood and Richmond are knocked out this week and if we ended up with, you know, Port Adelaide, Brisbane or something like that, do you think that, that Victorians are going to be watching as intently as we did this weekend? I think so. I think a lot of people have a soft spot for the Lions, especially them winning at the Gabba, like even though it was hard for me. Like I was like, oh, good on them. Like I was pretty happy that they won. Yeah, I think oh, there's... nice of you, Clementine. Know, so nice. You are a nice girl. I have a soft spot for them. I don't yeah. know why. But no, then. no, we do. Well, look, people love an underdog. It's, it yeah. is interesting. I mean, people now hate Richmond, you know. The We're the new Hawthorne. Sorry. Yeah. Remember when Hawthorne won in 2015? No one's ever the new Hawthorne. <laughs> well, in, in 2015, people had just had a gut full of Hawthorne and even Hawthorne executives were saying, look, we know we're, you know, people are sick of us now and their supporters just got a little bit annoying. And I reckon that's, I know Richmond haven't had the era that Hawthorne have had because they won four flags in however many years and three in a row. But Richmond's behaviour this year, the lack of discipline towards the end of that second quarter when they were, you know, they just couldn't get their way out of this hole. They couldn't put Brisbane away, even though they were playing well, couldn't score. There was bad behaviour, even Damien Hardwick, you know, forgetting to go and stand there for the Welcome to Country and then the National Anthem. I mean, just... It's, so undisciplined this year, Caro. It's been a messy year for the Tigers. They've got three weeks three weeks to get themselves out of it, but um, I'm not sure that they can. Anyway, it'll be, um, it'll be interesting. Senior AFL people are still tipping a Brisbane-Richmond grand final. I'm not quite sure Richmond, even if they can beat St Kilda, can get over Port Adelaide. We'll see. Caro and Clem, I want to know about how you're going in the coronavirus lockdown currently. We are in the day 60s as we record this. That's a long time to be locked down. Clem, give us the millennial view. How's things been? How have you been going? What's your work pattern? What's your social life pattern? Do you have a pattern? (laughs) Well, I'm pretty lucky that I still have a job that I can do at home. So I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, But I think this second lockdown, I've just been way less hard on myself. And so if I don't spring out of bed at 7am and do this and that before work, like if I get up at 7.45, it's not the end of the world. I always try and move my body. I would never go for a run normally pre-COVID, but now I go for a run in the middle of the day, which I wouldn't be able to do if I was at the office. But I also think if it gets to 3pm and you end up doing some emails from your bed, like it's not the end of the world, just be 
gentle on yourself. So you're saying in lockdown number one, which was March till end of May, yep. you were really quite focused on that routine. A bit more frantic, but I'm actually finding I'm getting more work done in this weird way because I'm just yeah putting the pressure off and going, it's okay, you've got all day, you're not going anywhere, there's not, not many distractions. So yeah, just be kind on yourself. Do you miss social life? Well, I'm really lucky because I'm in a house of four, a share house of four, and three of us have partners. So if I've had a few too many... That's a party? Yeah, so if I've had a few too many Negronis on a Saturday night and if I squint, I feel like I'm at a house party because, you know, we're blasting music, the conversation's flowing. So I actually haven't really been feeling too isolated at all. And now picnics are a thing. So I just, you know, walk up to Eddie Gardens, which is really close to my house, and it... It really feels like you're Edinburgh, actually at a festival. Edinburgh Gardens for those. Although, although not at the moment, Clem. It's snowing in Melbourne I know, today, I know. I have to say. I'm not sure about this week, but last Saturday and Sunday was just, yeah. But tell about tell about the bloke who lives opposite you in your street. Yes, yeah, so we have this guy. His name's James, and he is bald with a blue mo- mohawk. He works normally works at the comedy festival, but he's obviously been out of a job lately. So every Friday night he gets up on the balcony. So we're in a house, we're in a street of double-storey terrace houses, and he goes, what songs do you want? We ping him a song, and he just, like, blasts it for the whole street. And it happens every week, like, without a doubt, from 5.30 till 8, until someone started complaining. And we're like, who would be complaining? Like, there's babies dancing on the terraces, 70-year-olds, there's us as 20-year-olds. Like, who's... And then the council had to come and do, like, a sound check, and we all wrote really, like, strong emotional emails to the council and made sure that this is definitely not stopping. Like, he has made our isolation the best, like, go James. So you mentioned babies because as you were telling this story between 5.30 and 8, I'm thinking, oh, the poor mother and father of the toddlers trying to get them to sleep. but a Friday night, 5.30 to 8, like, surely you can, for the greater good. Yeah, and, you know, they're just swinging their babies on the hips, on the terrace. Like, it's a great vision. So you you work in the food industry. You can talk about who you work for and what you do because that's been a really interesting observation because we've all watched the – catering and food yeah. and entertainment, restaurants, etc. Yeah, so I work for a PR agency that's mainly hospitality and lifestyle and it's obviously been one of the strangest years of my life and I thought back in March I was, you know, I remember having a quite sombre phone call to you thinking, you know, I probably won't have a job next week. Um, but I think we did an amazing job of just really hustling at the time and knowing that the media still wants stories about how it is going, how it's like, you know, we're going straight from takeaway, people going online, doing all these fun events, like virtual events. And Clem, I imagine a lot of these uh, cafes and restaurants and so on, they still want to keep their brand alive. Exactly. And so I think we were just really smart about it. So, for example, we have a catering company called Cook's Food and, you know, overnight they were decimated, no weddings, no big parties, you can't even, you know, have a dance floor really. And they were just like, we're just going to hop on this picnic trend. And so we knew that the government, you know, two weeks ago we're going to announce that you can now start gathering in groups. So we just, you know, made sure that we called the news desk the week before we were on the front foot and, you know, it went everywhere. So oh, well I think done. it's about just... Did I spot you on the Channel 9 News? At, May. And, I, and I think I saw you as job. a page three or a page five girl. Yeah, that's With your top one, one of the glamorous sides of PR. You know, you always need to be a hand model or something. With your outdoor dining. <laughs> yeah, no, it's been it's interesting. And yeah. just um, one last question on before we move on. What, what habit or habits that you have picked up or developed in coronavirus times, would you like to include and take on to life after lockdown? Definitely think the running thing, because I think if anyone knows me, I'm not a runner or very fit person, but I've just been loving it. So I think I really need to keep that up. 
And I also think that me and my housemates have been really creative with trying to like keep the vibe up. So, you know, we might have a Peruvian themed dinner one night or we had an emo themed party or like, so just like keeping up those like fun little things that, yeah, kind of just keep the spirits up or a wine tasting or just things that we probably would have never thought to do. We just normally go off to the pub and have a few drinks, but yeah, I think there are a lot of really pleasures fun. to have at home, aren't there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. good. That's and great. Clemmy Donahue's taken on a life of its own too, hasn't it? Yes, so that's another thing that's keeping me very busy oh, your after food work Instagram. on the weekends. Potties, you have to follow Clem's food Instagram. It's a double account. M I E on the Clemmy there. <laughs> Donahue three O's, just in case. Okay, we... right. We've, so we've plugged we've plugged your real job. We've plugged your pretend job. Okay, that's it now. Thanks, Clem. Back in your box. Thank you, Clem. That's most interesting to hear from your perspective. And so on to Crush of the Week, which is brought to us by our lovely sponsors, Red Energy. Hi to all the gang at Red Energy. Caro, you have a crush. I do. Dolly Parton. In a, in a month where we've lost, well, in a few weeks where we've lost um, Susan Ryan, Helen Reddy and Ruth Ginsburg Corrie, three in very different ways, female trailblazers, I suppose, um, I actually sat down the other day and watched the, it was the most fantastic documentary about Dolly Parton. I was trying to find the one on um, Echoes of the Canyon, which is the one where Bob Dylan's son interviews all people who'd worked and written songs in Laurel Canyon. But I couldn't find it. So Dolly Parton bobbed up. She is an unbelievable woman. She is such an enigma, Dolly Parton. What she has done, the way she – it made me th- – it, it was a, one of the few documentaries that really made me think about women and their role in society. I mean, a lot of people are interviewed in it, Kylie Minogue, uh, Jane Fonda and Lily Tomlin, and talk a bit about doing nine to five with her and how even though they work with her and they've become friends with her, they still have never seen her without makeup or without a wig on. And um, people trying over the years to turn her into a feminist mouthpiece and people trying to make her say things about women's rights when doesn't she, she doesn't have to say or do anything. She just has to be who she is. Write some of those wonderful songs that she's written. Some of the men over the years who've tried to sort of overcome her, take over her. Which is such a common story, isn't it, with oh. female rock and roll artists? And, you know, when she wrote um, I Will Always Love You, it was because, the you know, her sidekick on this country and western show she did, she'd written, he said, we're sick of you writing songs about, you know, your mother's house and, you know, being a poor hayseed girl and this sort of stuff. People only want love songs. So she went away and wrote this song and this bloke took all the credit, but she said, I had to write it. I was trying to tell him that I had to get away from him and his show. I'll always love him, but sayonara, baby. I mean, she, it was a fascinating, it was, gee, it was interesting. And, and when her, people stopped buying her records, she went back to bluegrass. Look, I'm glad you mentioned her, Caro, because there is a brand new book coming out at the end of this month. I'm just showing you and Clem and Miss Jane the cover of it. Um, they, the publishers say this is going to go off. Dolly Parton's song teller, My Life in Lyrics. And it's basically that it's Dolly Parton in her own words, but she's looking I, at the we songs. Didn't, I didn't know this. See, yeah. we hadn't even discussed no, this, we had No, we hadn't, no. So we don't mean to be plugging the bookshop, but um, we've ended up doing that or at least going to buy this particular book. Dolly Parton's song teller. Have a look. for. It's due out in November, I think. It'll be a good one. Can I just recommend Dolly Parton's America is about an eight-part podcast series. By Jad yes. Abramrod, who was part of Radio Lab. I did. Caro, you must listen to this. I've heard great things. Have you seen the doco, Jane? No, but all of those stories are really fleshed out in this podcast. Dolly Parton's America. We're going to put all the links in the show notes, but it will blow your mind. I was never a Dolly fan. Listen to this. Mm. Loved her songs, but never got this whole 
personality. It goes real deep, so it's great. kind of like a Trojan horse for feminism. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of. A pretty, a pretty atrocious. Well, it's interesting. Horse. They actually show, and it's an American documentary, the, that famous interview with Mike Willisey, where he says, What are your two greatest assets? And she sort of goes, what, Well, where's this going? But he talks about her guts and determination. I can't remember what they were, but, and she sort of relaxes again. Um, look, it, it's a really, really interesting very doco. Good, very good crush of the week, and lots of GLTs amongst that little one. Thanks, girls. Now, on to BSF. Brought to us by Red Energy, of course, powered by Snowy Hydro, a leader in renewable energy. Just call 131806 for Real Aussie Energy. Book, screen, food. I have a book. I'm going to kick it off with Richard Flanagan's new book, The Living Sea of Waking Dreams. I guess nobody's read it here because it's only been out a week. Um, no, but we're very excited about you, it, Corrie. You have to be very excited have you read about it? it. Yes. Well, I'm halfway through, So, and, I, and the writing is so sublime and so beautiful. So it's the story of Francie, who is an elderly Tasmanian woman. She's in hospital. She's coming to the end of her life, and her three adult children have gathered around her bed when the doctor presents their progno- her prognosis and their suggestion of what should happen. The children, Tommy, who lives in Tasmania with his mother, hopeless, mostly unemployed artist, but with a heart of gold and a gentle soul. And then there's Anna, who is the ambitious, somewhat brittle uh, Sydney architect divorcee. And Terzo, who's well-manicured, wealthy venture capitalist, a bit of a pain in the ass. And as the novel uh, continues on, we we do not like him <laughs> at all. And they have to make a decision whether Francie should slip away unassisted or should they conduct a medical intervention to keep her alive. Now, of course, this is a dilemma which many families face. And in fact, my brother and I were in this situation with my mum back in 2012, So beware. I'm just saying, um, this is not a spoiler alert or anything, but this is difficult emotional terrain if you are going through this or you have been through it. However, plough on because I think the way Richard Flanagan presents this dilemma, which is so common these days, he does it in a very beautiful and extraordinary way. There's a second part to this, Caro and Clem and Jane. Outside the hospital, the world is literally on fire. Bushfires in Tasmania, bushfires in the south coast of Australia. And Richard Flanagan has spoken about how he, when he was writing this, bushfires um, were, were, you know, last summer, part of our life. And so in this novel, as France, as Anna, who's the main character, comes and goes from the hospital, you can almost smell the smoke that's hovering over Hobart. It's really amazing. Weird things start happening to Anna. First she loses a finger, then bits of her body parts start disappearing. And like the environment and the endangered species around her, no one is noticing. So, of course, this metaphor provides fuel for the novel. Flanagan has said in an interview recently, I just became conscious of the past seven or eight years of the way the world is vanishing. Everything I know is vanishing, plants, animals, bird, fishes, fish, sorry, Um, fishes. But it is actually, you know, I think the way he he presents this through um, Anna's body falling apart is really extraordinary. It sounds weird, but it kind of works. But, of course, at its heart, it's a family drama and the kids and the mum and all of that sort of thing. And it's loosely based on Richard Flanagan's own experience with his mother who died in a not dissimilar way, although there was full family uh, connection at that point. But he says that the catalyst for this book was when one of his daughters came home from her workplace. She works in a hospital and she said, Dad, there's this old guy who's been admitted and he's dying and he's ready to die, but his family are very wealthy and privileged and they want him to live on. And how awful that is. So 
great book. And really where great. can we get this, Co? Where can we get oh, this book? Maybe, maybe at my bookshop, Clem. <laughs> Any good oh. bookshop will have it. But thanks, Clem, for the plug. The Living Sea, you can tell she's in PR, can't you? The Living Sea of Waking Dreams by Booker Prize winning author Richard Flanagan. Highly, highly recommend. Now, on to screen. Well, this is a show we've both watched, Corrie. It's called The Deceived. And look, it's. It's got its good and bad moments. I mean, some of it you have to really go with it, don't you, to believe it. It's a sort of gothic thriller set in um, the UK, across the UK. Is it Cambridge or Oxford? No, it starts at Cambridge, but then it goes to Just Ireland. Ireland. Donegal. Yeah. And aren't you desperate to get to Donegal mm. with some of those shots? It's very much of the genre. There's a bit of Rebecca. There's a bit of Dial in for Murder. There's a bit of Gaslight. There's so many old thrillers in the, and old novels in this four-part series that is basically, um, it starts out a young woman at Cambridge having an affair with um, one of her lecturers and she ends up going back to his hometown where she attends his wife's funeral. And why she ends up staying in that house, I do not know. But it's it's so different to Derry Girls, even though it's got the same writer, Lisa McGee, um, you know, which has been one of my favourite shows. But it's it's chilling, isn't it? It is chilling. It's um, it's improbable. And I watched all four episodes with my daughters. Francesca had um, some well, much needed uh, leave from the family and came and had a night or two with me on her doctor's um, orders. And so we had Coco, Francesca and I watched it. And I think by episode, episode, by the third or fourth one, I can't remember at what point, Francesca, who is pregnant and does get tired at night, said, that's it, I'm going to bed. This is rubbish. Coco and I watched it to the end. Quite a climactic ending, I thought. But um, we can't say. But it's worth sticking. No, but one one of the highlights I thought was Paul Meskell, who uh, who plays Sean, who's one of the Irish workers. You'll remember him from that beautiful book uh, movie of the book by Sally Rooney. Normal Normal people. people. Yep. And I thought Emily Reed as Ophelia, who's the main character, completely improbable that she has the affair with the lecturer and then all of a sudden takes herself off to his family home, knowing that he's married, and then of course discovers the wife's died. She was in Belgravia and the she's mother a beautiful actor. Oh, she's kids. a good actor. And the mother, Eleanor Methven, was in the series of Little Women that was out recently yeah, and has also been good in cast. also been in Dairy Girls. No, look it's I wasn't all that familiar with the actor who played chilling. played the Professor, the the lecherous, foul, hideous professor, um, the English tutor. But um, have you seen him before anywhere? What's no, he has been around. Look, it's it's on Stan. It's yeah. called The Deceived. I it'll, enjoyed it. It'll make you want to go when you actually get to travel again. It'll definitely make you want to go to Ireland. And it's well worth a watch, even though at the beginning you're sort of saying, what the hell? I mean, mm. why on earth would she do this? Why on earth? You have to go with it. Okay. That, so it's a good show. Uh, the Deceived on Stan, as Caro said. Now, food, da-da-da-da, Clemmy Donahue bakes what? Woo-hoo. Actually, no baking required. This is a more springy, summery recipe. It's a snapper ceviche. And it sounds much more. Don't be put off. Fancy I said, oh, not is. a ceviche, Clem. Yeah. Who's going to make a ceviche? <laughs> well, not in this current weather. Well, let's get it a bit warmer. Maybe for this weekend. So just go to your local fishmonger and ask them what's the best thing for ceviche. Because I walked in wanting kingfish and he was like, no, nah, it's not good today. Just got in some snapper. I was like, beautiful. So get your fishmonger to take off the skin of a, a similar fish to a snapper 
or a kingfish, take it home, dice it into one centimetre cubes, pop it in the fridge while you get onto your other ingredients. And it's a bit of a choose your own adventure with herbs and chilies. So I went with one jalapeno, some red chilli, some finely diced shallot, coriander leaves and stems. I think the stems are so yum in this. Then you mix all that into the fish and then just before you're about to serve, so this is definitely right for the second before because you don't want it to overcook and go that gross colour, you add a dressing of extra virgin olive oil, the best you can find, not the not the Cobram. Sorry, Mr Cobram. But oh, <laughs> oh, well. well, there goes that sponsorship Shut option. Buy it. Well, you know, he had his chance. You know, we've been waiting for a few years now. <laughs> Um, yeah, so the best EVOO you can find, um, a tiny little bit of white vinegar. I used a juice of a lemon and a lime, a big pinch of salt. Mix that all together, put it on your most fancy platter you have, add some corn chips. Now try and get the ones from, you know, a Spanish or a um, Portuguese deli, you know, those that beautiful one we go to, Casa Iberica on Johnston Street, yeah. that funny little place. In but if you can't, isn't it? Yes, if you can't find... Because you don't want them all salty and... No, you don't want like Doritos. If you can't find those, I think the brand La Tortilleria, which is, you know, they're in most supermarkets now and you can get the purple ones as well and I think they look great. Just pop the ceviche in the middle, make a little moat of corn chips and just dig in. It's the best thing ever. And uh, Miss Jane, I'll write it out for you, but it is a very choose your own adventure and, you know, you can kind of just use what you have at home, but just top, top, top quality fish is what's important. So you pour the dressing on top and mix it through or just yeah, pour it on top? and then serve it straight away. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, no hanging around so it goes mushy. Yeah, so you can do everything before and then the second they arrive, just chuck it all into so the So just bring the fish out of the fridge. And yeah. Who are they? It. I mean, who, who's arriving at our house at the moment, Claire? No, so that was actually for my housemate's birthday, Darcy, the other week and we had a Peruvian and like Spanish night. So I had to, you know, bring it with the food. Do you ever get the feeling that you're... <laughs> Your housemates are really happy. That yeah, they, they have to they do the cleaning. You, they drew you in the straw. They do have to what do the cleaning. What housemates will come so into our house? It's a pretty yeah. good trade-off. Now, Corrie, th- that was be. Thank you, Clem, and that will be on our show notes. Thanks to Red Energy, powered by Snowy Hydro. Call one three one eight zero six for real Aussie energy, and the Melbourne-based team will help you out. Tell them Carol and Corrie sent you. Corrie, you are grumpy. Yep. Well, I'm back on the Trumps. Did you hear the other day? First Lady Melania Trump was recorded saying that she's fed up with Christmas and the Christmas decorations in the White House. I mean, really? Really? She was recorded by her now former friend, Stephanie Winston Woolcoff, who has a new book out, uh, Melania and Me, uh, which is actually a better read than it sounds. It's a really fascinating insight into how the White House generally sort of works. But Stephanie recorded her friend saying, this is Melania, I'm working my effing ass off on the Christmas stuff that you know, who gives an F about the Christmas stuff and the decorations? But I need to do it, right? Because I'm First Lady. What? Oh, <laughs> how did that what's get, wrong with how Christmas? Did, how did that get out? She ta- Well, Stephanie taped it and she's, you know, she's got all these tapes. Yes. So like, what a great know. friend. Yeah, I know. It, rem- <laughs> reminds me of Linda, it reminds me of Linda Tripp, you know, poor old Monica's, Monica Lewinsky's ex-friend. But, okay, so the White House has a traditional role in American life at Christmas time. And this is not just a Trump uh, thing, but they always make a fuss and they invite America into their home. 
a couple of years ago, there were 53 Christmas trees in the White House, 12,000 ornaments. Now, I know that could probably get one down, but, you know, you could get like, oh, do I have to dust them again? Or, oh, my God. But it doesn't have to get Melania Trump down because she has servants who do this. Who doesn't like Christmas? And it's I one, was it, so angry when I read that. It's Many one families, thing. we all celebrate Christmas if we believe in Christmas. <laughs> Even if you can't afford a proper tree or a decoration. I mean, I've had a couple of... I have heard mum say that, though, on Christmas Eve when, you know, she's basting the turkey and wrapping all the presents. She just goes, who gives a laugh anymore? Ne- I have never seen... She starts throwing little... But we all love balls at me uh, and... you're, you're telling lies. But on, well, maybe it, not, but that, look... I, you she know, is who, so lying. But, they, but Americans do it so well. I mean, they, that's one thing we... You know, they absolutely kill say Christmas. everything? You know, people say, poor Melania, she's been a victim. Donald Trump has... You know, she, he's got something over her, or she said, "You pay me, and I'll be a good first lady. I'll stick by your side." Do you know what she's in this? She's in this for the kill. She's as bad as the rest of them. Who doesn't like Christmas? Hands off our Christmas, Melania. That made me so grumpy. On to six quick questions now, <laughs> Carol. It's funny with grumpy, isn't it? That we both are grumpy every week. We don't have to look far to be grumpy, do we? <laughs> Well, oh, was, I'm grumpy. I'm grumpy. No, I've got. It was a toss up between her and the New Zealand opposition leader when I heard that live the other night. I said, "Cod case, Victoria, <laughs> hands off our Victoria." Um, okay, Caro, who has been Channel 7's best special commentator during the finals? Hands down, Daisy Pierce has been an absolute triumph, an absolute find. I gather. Um, the um, powers that be are putting pressure on her to get her facts out quicker, or they have been all year, to, to say things more quickly than she does. I think she says things that some of the male commentators just don't pick up on, don't expand on, don't enhance, which they should be doing. But she's been really good. And um, Luke Hodge hasn't been bad either, but Daisy has definitely been number one. agree with you about Daisy. Corrie, what is your favourite spring, spring flower to have in your vase at the moment on your desk? Sweet pea. Carol, so about my second home ever, I had a north-facing wall. I put up some wire and I didn't even know what sweet pea was. I thought they were beans. I thought I would be growing beans. So I had this entire wall and this weird green spindly stuff started growing and then all of a sudden comes spring. Oh, my lordy. You probably don't remember that house, but... um. But it was just the most wonderful smell for about three or four weeks. So every spring now, if I'm not growing it myself, I'll go and buy some from the market, put it in a vase. doesn't last longer than a couple of days, but the smell will just go through your house. It's the best thing. Um, Clem, what is your number one go-to when planning a picnic, speaking of picnics? A charged portable speaker. Very crucial and at the risk of sounding like my dad, a denim jacket for when the sun goes down because nothing worse when you're at the park having bevs with your friends and you're really cold. Oh, that's so true. I thought you were going to say something about the pepper grinder. Why did I think that? I know. Well, you know, that's important too. Hey, Corrie, uh, what caused your latest lockdown chanty? And God knows there have been several. The jigsaw puzzle. Okay. Casa goes bang. <laughs> It happens every week, Claire. I'm used to it. I'm not Teflon like your mother. It doesn't bounce off me. I take it to heart. I come. I walk out we of here and I, have, I, and I sob. General comment. I sob all the way home. That's, isn't that a general comment that we all have lockdown tanties? Sorry, it wasn't directed at you. Oh, really? No, it wasn't. Well, I've had several Take it back, too. take it back. Uh, the jigsaw puzzle just absolutely ended up giving me the shits and I stuck it back in the box and I rang oh, – no, actually, I text – our yoga teacher. <laughs> so you've actually, you've actually, Maggie and I said, do you want given up? Do you want a jigsaw puzzle? It's not in my nature. A couple of my Aries friends, hi Joe, hi Anita, have both said, like, we are. It's not in our DNA, Deb, as well at the bookshop. It's not in I'll our DNA it. to do 
to do jigsaw puzzles, I've realised. Aries people cannot do jigsaw. We, we don't have the attention span. I tell you what, on the weekend, I, I roared at it. I roared at this thing. So, um, no, not for me. I don't want one for Christmas. I, I, I know that wasn't a comment directed at you, but if you're yelling at jigsaw puzzles, it's probably time to yes, get out no. of lockdown. <laughs> Clem, what is your favourite new local market? Alfington Farmer's Market. So it's every Sunday from 9am and I'm lucky enough to have it in my 5k radius and you just have to buy asparagus. It's just just rude not to at the moment. It's just so yum. And you know the guy's good when the only thing he sells is the asparagus. Yeah, true. And different colours or just the green? Yeah, so there's green, white, but I'm I'm a sucker for the green. Big and market, cl- small market? Where, it's Clem? Small-ish. It's just right near the Alfington train station and it's perfect to also swing by Oasis Bakery on the way home. Oh, Clem, sounds like you got the perfect 5K radius walk there. Oh, she rang me the other day. What did you say about something new that was had come to your district? There's an Audi opening up in December, which is so exciting you for me. You rang me to tell me. There's an Audi and well, no. there's something else too. Yeah, but that's confidential. I actually can't say that. Oh, oh Okay. <laughs> One of her clients. Mom, just stop throwing me in. under the bus. Sorry, I thought it was public knowledge. <laughs> no, Sorry. but I am very excited about Audi. Those little things really get me going. Um, <laughs> Caro, my question to you, what's your number one rule when cancelling out of a big event? What big event? There are no big events. No, but over the years we've both done it, Corrie. Only give one excuse because when you give more than one excuse, it means that you actually just don't want to go. And I know I've been pretty relentless. Okay, an example. Caro, would you and Brendan like to come to my 60th birthday dinner next week? No, no. Well, I've already accepted that I'm coming. Okay. Oh, but you've decided you don't want to come. Look, um, Corrie, I'm really sorry, but um, this is what you don't do. I can't come to your 60th. Oh, why not? Well, look, I'm not feeling that well. And look, Brendan's got a bit of work on and I promised Clem I would go and help her with some work stuff. Yeah, exactly. I can't come because I'm sick, which is the I truth. I remember you doing this when I was like 10 and you really wanted to get out of a dinner party and I wasn't sick and you were like, if anyone asks, you have oh, a really bad Jesus, cold. I hope that wasn't mine, Clem. <laughs> and you told me that trick. You were like, and because I didn't want to say this, this and this because it was a miracle. No, uh, Clem, was that, was that my dinner party that she did that to? Don't be ridiculous. I'd never pull out of one of yours. No, no comment. Look, Richard Goida, and I've been pretty merciless on the AFL chairman in the last few weeks, but I cannot believe he's not going to the grand final. And he was interviewed again on Saturday by Basil Zemplis in a fairly sort of soft interview, which is fair enough because he's, you know, runs a Channel 7 telethon. And that was one reason he gave. And another one was the onerous quarantine teen restrictions in Perth. And another one was um, the Qantas board meeting on the Friday before the grand final. I mean, please. Yes, the, just one excuse. I the agree. AFL chairman, you should be there. Not good enough. Um, what a lovely show. Clem, hey, thanks for being with us. Thanks so much for having me. Have you plugged enough of your business, it was a blast. businesses or do you want to say anything else? Oh, well, if you would just want to follow at Carla Dawes Press Office, that's my work. And my food one is at Clemmy Donahue. So oh, wow, you she's follow really, my journey. She's really earned her wages <laughs> this week, hasn't she? Well, it's been great to see you and thank you so much for the recipe as well. And thank you to our podcast sponsor, Red Energy, for making this show possible. Call them on 131806 for 100% Australian electricity and gas. We love your feedback and comments, so you can contact us through all the usual ways. But please also remember on uh, the Apple iTunes, please give us five stars. It does make Caro and I feel really good about ourselves. But more importantly, the more stars a podcast has, the more likely people who are searching for a good podcast are to find it. So by giving us five stars, you allow other people to discover the magic that is don't shoot the messenger. I didn't. I never knew that. Oh, God. I get it with the 21st century. Anyway, on that note, what do we say, ladies? 
Don't, Don't shoot, shoot the, the messenger. messenger. Do, 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 do.